I have a couple of questions for you to start out, all right? I want you to imagine, if you would, what do you suppose was in the mind of Jesus before the cross, after the cross, and before his ascension back into heaven? What, what do you suppose was uppermost on the mind of Jesus? What do, you, what do you think he was thinking about? You say to me, what, what, are you kidding me? No, no, I'm serious. I want you to think about that. What was uppermost on his mind? See, I, I believe that we don't have to imagine at all because we have the words of Jesus both before the cross and after the cross and after the resurrection and before the ascension. We have, in essence, what was really most important to Jesus. And, and listen, the infant church that he had given rise to, if it was going to survive, it was going to, if it was going to thrive at all, it was necessary that they discovered the power of persistence. That's why Jesus spent so much time talking about giving them stories to encourage them, inspire them about persistence, to, to uh, uh, even pray. In, in John chapter 17, uh, it's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. You can read it yourself sometime this afternoon or th- this week. It's, it's, it, it's all about Jesus praying for, interceding for for them and for us, that, that we would succeed, that we would overcome, that we would conquer in his name. Jesus, having done all for us, knew that it was necessary. He was going to be leaving, and it was necessary for these men, a group of basically, for the most part, the most of them were fishermen. If these men were going to overcome, if these men were going to, to walk in victory, then they needed the power of persistence operating in their life. And so Jesus would continue his ministry, but now he would continue his ministry from heaven. He would be interceding and praying for the success of the church. Jesus never abdicated his responsibility. He would, he would equip the church and he would, he would gift the church and he would raise up leaders in the future for the church. Right? But but Jesus was was determined in his in his passion to build his church so that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So here's my first statement: persistence, endurance, and resi- and resilience would be one of the key factors in the survival of the movement that would turn the world upside down. And and, and literally, these are those men who turned the world upside down or right side up, depending upon your point of view. But their movement overcame one of the greatest, uh, mightiest empires the world has ever known. And and they did it through the power of persistence. Uh, Jesus told a story. And uh, it was one of those things to inspire them about persistence, right? So, so, So at midnight, this guy comes over, right? And he's comes over to his friend's house and knocks on the door. It's at midnight. Could you imagine midnight? I mean, if somebody was knocking on my door at midnight, I'd get my gun. I don't have a gun, but, but, but I, I, would, I would not be a happy camper, you know? So this guy is knocking on the door at night, and, and the guy apparently opens up the window and says, who is it? What do you want? You know, he says, he says a friend of mine has traveled and is coming to my house and I don't have anything to set before him. You know, it's not like there were 7-Elevens, you know, you can go and buy bread and milk, you know. And, and, and let me tell you, hospitality back in the day was huge. 
It was a great responsibility. And so, and so here's a guy saying, I, I need something to put before him. I need some loaves of bread, you know? And, and the guy says, says I'm, I can't come down. The door is locked. My kids are in bed, yada, 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 <laughs> you know? Yada, yada, yada. This guy's not going to take yada, yada, yada as an answer, you know? You guys don't know Seinfeld? Come on, yada, 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 you know? You know, so, but this, this guy, abso- so he gets, he gets blown off by his neighbor, right? But he absolutely refuses. And Jesus says, Jesus says this. He says, not because he was a friend, but because of his bold persistence, he will come down and he will give him as many loaves as he wants just to get rid of him. And, and Jesus was imparting to them encouragement and inspiration to say, guys, guys, you got to be persistent. When, when, when it comes to this life, not just in prayer, but in all of this life, you have got to learn the power of persistence. The reason for it is that these group of men, like you said, mostly fishermen, one tax collector, were going to endure and suffer torture and ultimately execution Every single one of them, except for the Apostle John, who suffered torture but was exiled to what's called the, the, isle, the island of Patmos, where he worked in the mines in hard labor. And so every single one of them needed to be equipped with this power of persistence that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And, and, and of course, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the natural tendency you know, is for us to just, when things get tough, when things are hard, the natural tendency is for us to quit, to say, this is too hard. I I can't do this, you know? As as a result of the fall, there is a vulnerability in every single one of us. You know, we have have flaws, and and there are are fears that we have to overcome. I don't care what Bible character you point to in the Bible. Moses, Elijah, David, Peter, they all had to discover that God was greater than their fears, that, that, that fear had to be overcome, right? And so, and so I, I want you to think about that. There is either a fight or flight mentality when we are faced with difficulty. And these guys were about to face the most horrendous days of their life. And so Jesus warned them. Look at this in Mark four seventeen, He said, some will endure for a time, but when trouble and persecution comes, because of the word, because of me, Jesus is saying in essence, because of the gospel, many will fall away. Many will fall away. When things get tough, when, when persecution comes, when trials and adversity comes, many will fall away. Now, 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 this is what's so amazing about this portion of Scripture that I want us to just kind of think about. After the resurrection, not even before, but after the resurrection, when, when Jesus had appeared to the disciples, had conversations with them, spoke to them, sat down, had a meal with them, Peter says, I quit. I'm out of here. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And six or seven of the others said, we're going with you. Now, now listen, this, this is not a men's fellowship that they were going on. This is not a, a fishing weekend that they were going on. This is, we're going back to business as usual. We're going back to our old way of life of being fishermen. What about the ministry? What about the kingdom of God? What about preaching the gospel? No, 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 we, we quit. Now, 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 whether it was fear probably factored into it, whether it was Peter's guilt 
about having failed Jesus and having denied him three times, probably weighed some on that. I mean, this was really uncertain time. One of their own, Judas, had hung himself, had taken his own life, and that really shattered their, 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 their experience. And so the times were uncertain, and they, they were worried about the future. They were fearful about the future. Listen, I get that. I understand. I, listen, I, I know that the uncertainty of what might be in the future can be really scary, you know? The uncertainty about what might happen next month, next week, you know, is, is something that will, will cause us to, to become anxious. But we need to learn how to overcome our anxieties. And what they're saying basically is this, that we're leaving the ministry and we're going back to business as usual. But Jesus ain't going to let that happen. Jesus is passionate about establishing his church so that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And he knows that they need to be infused with the power of persistence. And so one of the ways in which God seeks to encourage us and to inspire us is by pointing to others who have persevered and the rewards that they received as a result of their persevering. Last week, we spoke about a a mother who prevailed with Jesus because of a daughter who was demonized and and she refused to give up and and she was rewarded because of her great faith. So would they remember that woman? Would they remember the story that Jesus told about the, the widow and the unjust judge? Would they themselves be inspired by Jesus who persevered in, in the face of the most horrific suffering. And, and, and the writer of the book of Hebrews says that we should consider Jesus who endured such conflict from sinners against himself so that we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. In other words, what we need to do is that we need to persevere. We need to persist. Did they sufficiently learn the lesson of persistence? Were they inspired enough by by what they had heard and what they had seen. So here, here, here they are. They, they said, we're going fishing, and, and they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, right? And they, they have toiled all night long, and the Bible says they've caught nothing. You know, I mean, you, you, you're not going to be blessed. You're not going to prosper when you're outside of the will of God. And so, and so he, here is Jesus on the shoreline, right? And and he's got, he's got cooking uh, fish and chips on, on, on a charcoal fire, right? And, and when they realize that it's Jesus, you know, and they all go, come and they gather around Jesus. I, I, and this is, where I, this is where I think that Jesus was almost a little bit of Italian. Because he says, come on, let's, let's eat everybody. You know, mind you, come on, you know. It's bon appetit, let's go. Let's, and so, and so they, they, they start to have this meal and they begin, and, and, and Jesus has this conversation with them. And he first, first he signals out Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? I, I know you quit. I know you abandoned the ministry. But Peter, let me ask you this question. Do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And, and really he was speaking to the whole group of them because they all, they all deserted. You know? And so, guys, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you, we, we do love you. Then, then shepherd my people. I didn't call you here. I didn't call you to abandon the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And so as a result of that, I mean, I, I love it that Jesus doesn't scold them, doesn't condemn them, doesn't embarrass them, but he very gently and lovingly brings them around 
to what they should be doing, taking care of people, feeding the flock of God. And you know, I believe more than anything else that it was the presence of Jesus that infused within them at that moment the kind of confidence and the kind of courage that they needed to face the days that are ahead. You see, these men were in need of courage and confidence, the kind that can only come by being in a relationship with Christ. Last week I said, what would it be like if we could marry urgency together with persistence? What kind of a dynamic you know, uh, power could be released in our lives if we married urgency with, with, with persistence. This week, what I want to say is that what we also need is to, is to marry courage and confidence with persistence. C.S. Lewis said this, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form or source of every virtue at the testing point. That's a little deep, so you might want to think about that for a little while. But, but what he's saying basically is that when we endure the test, that virtue of courage that is the source of every other virtue has a transformational ability. We can be transformed from being fearful to being fearless through this grace that God, to, God gives us. In, in, in his book, uh, The Applause of Heaven, uh, Max Licato, I'm talking about Max Licato a lot lately, but anyway, he's got some really good stuff there. He asked this question, how do you tackle fear? In other words, how do, you, how, do you, how do you overcome fear? And he says that some people attempt to tackle their anxieties and their fear by, by becoming, you know, strong. I'll use the word macho. You know that song, I want to be a macho man, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the whole idea of machismo. You know, you're going to be strong. You remember, remember the, uh, the Wizard of Oz? The lion, you know? Courage, courage, you know? How did they do that? Is that good, Mark? That's good. Courage, you know? He, he, he was a fearful lion, but he wanted courage. He wanted to be strong. And, and, and remember how, how in, in, in that film, he, he kind of scared everybody in the beginning, but he was nothing but a big coward, right? You know, and, and, and so, and so Licato says that, that muscle creates security, might is power, right? But, but is it really? And, 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 and can that really eliminate fears? Another way, he said, that, that people deal with insecurity is through finances. Through, through possessions and through, and through the power that that, that that presents itself. And others with, with fame and popularity or titles, right? And then he asked the question, but can, can power, possessions, and popularity really deliver us from our fears? And then he gives several examples. He says, if that were true, then, then Joseph Stalin, who was a, an, the Russian tyrant responsible for the murder of millions of people, if that were true, then... then then he would have been fearless, but he was afraid to go to sleep at night, and he actually slept in a different room every single night to thwart off his would-be assassins. Uh, another example he gives is, is that of the late billionaire Howard Hughes. If, in fact, Howard Hughes, because of his possessions, because of his great wealth, 
He should have been fearless if, 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 if that is the answer to, to our fear. But the fact of the matter is, is that because he was so paranoid and he was, and he was worried about, he didn't trust people and he, and, and he, and he was, you know, this germ-phobic person, uh, he, he died with a, a beard long, or belly, I should say a belly long beard. His, his fingernails grew like corkscrews and uh, uh, he, he died as a hermit. You know, uh, then and they also mentions John Lennon. Th- think about John Lennon, the popularity of John Lennon. I mean, he was a household name, great musician, you know, pop pop artist and all that stuff. But he says that John Lennon, the biographer that wrote about John Lennon's life, said that he was so fearful that he 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 would he would not go to sleep without the lights on, and he would be afraid to touch anything that it might be contaminated or dirty. So here's the, here's the point. He says that none of these things, power, possessions, fame, these are all external supports. Courage is really the outgrowth of who we are internally. When we see ourselves, and this is the point, when we see ourselves as God's beloved children, our identity is in, secure in God, that's when we can begin to overcome the fears of the future, fears of failure, fears that, that whatever we face, we can face them because we're not alone. I think one of the most inspiring stories that I've come across uh, is uh, a story about a guy by the name of Louis or Louis uh, Zappaniri. Now, not Zappaniri. I'm not pronouncing it right. I'm just going to call him Mr. Z. I, think, I, think, I was thinking of Jessica Zapp, uh, Zappaniri. Right? Is that how you say your name? It's Zamper, Zamp, Z-A-P, I'm sorry, Z-A-M-P-E-R-I-N-I. Zapparini, there you go. So I'm just going to call him Mr. Z or Louie because I'm going to get tongue-twisted. Tongue twi- but, but that name, Zapparini, I mean, it, sounds like, it sounds like he could be a trapeze artist, the flying Zapparinis, you know. But he wasn't. And uh, his, uh, his story uh, received... Uh, kind of a, a resurgence of interest in 2010 with uh, uh, Laura Hellebrand's book. She's the one who wrote the book about Seabiscuit. Well, she wrote a book, and this I love the title. It's called Unbroken, A World War II Story of Survival, Resilience, and Redemption. And it was number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. And in fact, it's coming out in December as a movie uh, directed by Angelina Jolie. Okay, so, so this guy, you get, listen to his life. He was an Olympic track star, right, uh, who ran in the, in the 1936 Olympics under the watchful eye of Adolf Hitler, right? Uh, so he received notoriety and fame as, a, as a, uh, an Olympic runner. He, he joined the army, uh, I think it was even before uh, Pearl Harbor, but, but he, he joined the Army Air Corps and became a bombardier in uh, what was the uh, B-24s. Now, if you know anything about the B-24s, th- th- they were a notoriously faulty airplane. Uh, in fact, stateside, during training, 15,000 men died because of this faulty airplane, but, you know, we were in the war, and, and they had to be pushing out these airplanes. He was in a successful bombing mission 
in, in several different cities in, in the Pacific. But, but on this one rescue mission, when he was in this plane called the Green Hornet, which was, which was not his regular plane, uh, his plane was being repaired because they had like 600 bullet holes in it. Uh, his plane malfunctioned and it went down into the Pacific, right? And now for 47 days, he and two others, one man who died after 33 days, but 47 days, they were adrift in the Pacific, trying to avoid being shot by Japanese planes, who machine gunned them, uh, try to avoid being devoured by sharks. They dealt with, they dealt with thirst and, and starvation on these rafts that they were uh, ill-prepared and, Ill, and, and, and just these flimsy rafts. They floated for 47 days, 2,000 miles from where they first landed. Uh, he went from 125 pounds, about the size of Andrew, I would suppose, to about... Is that your weight, Andrew? Are you about 125? <laughs> you you, you want to tell us what you, what you weigh? 150. 150? Oh, boy, you're chubby. No, just kidding. No, just kidding. No, he, he went, I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. He went from 125 pounds, listen, to 75 pounds in 47 days. His family received notification, a letter from President Roosevelt thanking them for his, their son's service of, of bravery. And, 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 but, the, but the military did not know that he and two other men were adrift in the Pacific dealing with the most horrific details. They, they were able to survive catching some rainwater, and uh, he, made, he made a hook out of his lieutenant's pin and a string on his finger, and he was able to catch a few fish that kept them alive. The, like I said, one of the other survivors died, uh, but the two of them, the two remaining survivors, Mr. Z was one of them, uh, were captured then by the Japanese. And they were taken to one of the most horrific POW camps in Japan, where for two years, he was particularly, because of his notoriety as an Olympic runner, and because the Japanese knew very well about his past, there was one particular commandant from that POW camp that just hated him. And every single day, I mean, he would be, he would be tortured every single day. And this, this is what he said. He says, I could take the beating and the physical punishment, but it was the attempt to destroy our dignity to make us a non-entity that was the hardest thing to bear. And he said this. He said, said you have to have confidence and believe that no matter what you are faced with, you can deal with it. You just can't give up. You just can't give up. So this guy's obviously a, a survival, determined that, that no matter what would happen, he would, he would be a survivor. And the war ended, and after two years, he comes back home, absolutely an American hero. But before they realized what post-traumatic stress disorder was, Louis was having nightmares every day. He would, he would have nightmares. He would, he would be waking up. He, he, he was fighting with his captors. That led to depression, and the depression led to alcoholism, and he, 
He, he had this spiral going down. I mean, he could survive in the most harshest environment, but, but there now back in the States, his life was unraveling. He was falling apart. His wife, Cynthia, was ready to leave him. She had gone to a Billy Graham crusade, and at her request, he went to this Billy Graham crusade where Billy was preaching the gospel. And it says, all of a sudden, he, he realized what a heel he had been. He had turned his back on God, and there in a prayer room, he accepted Christ as his Savior, the, the missing ingredient of this man's life. See, Jesus is the missing ingredient of all of our lives, and until we find our place in Christ, and he finds his place in our hearts, then it doesn't matter how much courage or how much confidence you have or how much persistence you have. Really, here's a guy who was absolutely falling apart, whose life was unraveling, whose marriage was falling apart because of a missing ingredient. And what Jesus did for him, he, he, I love what he said. he said. He said, in a moment's time, Christ revolutionized my life, changed my life. God delivered him from those dreams. God delivered him from from the torment that he was going through, from alcohol addiction, healed his marriage. They were married for, for over 50-something years. Uh, on July 2nd, I guess it's about, what, 11, 12 days ago, uh, something like that, he died at the age of 97. 97. Uh, what an amazing life he had. Brutality, hardship, incomprehensible suffering and cruelty. He survives a plane crash. He's a castaway. He's attacked, attacked by sharks, POW, a slave. But he's got that courage and persistence. But the one thing that he had missing was Christ. And the one thing that made his life whole was Jesus. And I, I'm telling you that if you're here this morning and you have a lot of things going for you, but you don't have Jesus. What, what, what Jesus did for, for Louis, Jesus can do for you today. Have you ever heard of the adversity principle? Biologists and botanists, they, they, they have seen this truth for, for years. And, and, and this is it. As strange as it seems, Habitually, well-being is not advantageous to any species, whether you're you know, an animal or, or a plant. You know, just think about the animals in the zoo. You know, they have food brought to them every single day. The only thing they have to do is, is eat and yawn and pass gas. All right, but, but th think about that. Th th think, about, think about the trees that are in the rainforest, Right? Because they don't have to set their roots down very deeply, because just a couple of feet, even a mild windstorm can knock down a tree because, it, because its roots aren't firmly grounded. But, it, but do you know about the acacia tree? It, interestingly, the, the Ark of the Covenant was the wood that was used to make the, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was overlaid with gold, and it's a type of Christ. But anyway... The acacia tree is, is, is growing in the most desert, harsh environments in the world. 
And its roots go down 75 feet to find water. You can have a cat Category 5 hurricane and it won't knock that thing down because its roots are dug down so deep. When you and I, beloved, dig our roots down deeply into Christ and in the word of God, we could face anything. We could face any storm, any trial that comes our way because our confidence is not in ourselves. Paul says, we're the, we're the ones who worship God in the spirit and we have no confidence in our flesh, but our confidence is in Christ Jesus. How amazing. This fact, listen, that Mr. Z remained physically active into his 80s and his 90s. That's yes, what I read about him. He, listen, he skied in his 80s and 90s. He, he mountain climbed in his 80s and 90s. Could you believe that? He, he even, listen, he even skateboarded when he was in his 80s. You could not get me on a skateboard if I was in Iron Man's suit. Do you know how easy it is to fall off a skateboard and break something? <laughs> you know, I was listening. I was overhearing. I was in, in, in my living room. My daughter and the kids were over the house the other day. And, and one of them, I don't know who it was, said, how old is, is, is Kay going to be in, in, in 20 years? And, and somebody said, I guess Kelly said, well, he'll be 30-something. And, and, and they said, well, Mama, how old are you going to be in 20 years? And she said, none of your business. <laughs> No, just kidding. She says, I'll be 50-something. And then she asked Landon, my little, blessed little grandson, how old is Papa going to be in 20 years? And he thought, uh, dead? <laughs> Thank you, grandson. Check off inheritance. No for you. Unless you change. <laughs> Oh, man, I'll only be 86. I'll be a year older than Richard. A couple of years older than Angela. You ain't going to get me on a skateboard, though. But, but, but you know what? This guy climbing mountains in his 80s and 90s, who does this guy remind you of? Caleb. At 85, Caleb says, I am as strong at 85 as I was when I was 40 to go in, to, bot, to battle, and to fight. I just love this guy, Caleb. And I thought about him right away. So I just want to close this, this message this morning by looking at a couple of verses from the life of Caleb. Now, Caleb and Joshua, right? These two guys were spies sent out by Moses along with 10 others, 12 altogether of the 12 heads of the families, not the Italian families in Brooklyn, but, but the families of, of, of Israel. And they were sent out to give a reconnaissance of, of the land that was flowing with milk and honey, right? And so, and so Joshua and Caleb come back with a good report. Yeah, the land is absolutely flowing with milk and honey. There are valleys and there are streams and there are, and there are mountains and, and it's awesome, Right? But the 10 others came back, and you probably know the story. They were filled with fear. And they inspired fear in the hearts of the rest of the people to the point where they wanted to go back to Egypt. We would rather go back to our old life and be slaves rather than to face the giants that were in the land and to face the difficulty. And so that night, they cried all night long. 
But, but Joshua and Caleb, they try to encourage the people. They say, yeah, there are giants in the land. Yeah, there are fortified cities in the land. But we'll eat them for lunch. They will be our bread for us. We can do it. go up. Let's go up immediately. But, but they spoke about stoning Caleb and Joshua. And as a result of that, God said, that's it. You are not going in. Because of your unbelief, you are not going to go into the land. The children that you said were going to be devoured, they're going to go in, but not you. And everyone 20 years old and over, over the next 40 years, perished in the wilderness. It must have been, must have been hundreds and hundreds of funerals every single day as, as, as they walked around in circles. And Caleb and Joshua were with them walking around in circles for 40 years. And now, he says, he was 40 years old at the time. Now he's 85. So 40 years of, of, of absolute wilderness wandering. And then five more years of fighting to gain their inheritance. So, so what I want you to understand is, is the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at happens not because Joshua forgot about what happened back in the day, but because there were so many young men who were born in that 40-year period that, that only maybe heard about what had happened, but, but weren't there as eyewitnesses as Joshua was. So Joshua now, at this point, is getting ready to divide up the land to the families, to the, to the tribes, and to the particular families in the tribes. And this is this is Caleb's reward because of his persistence, all right? Now, l- listen to this. Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah, that is the tribe of Judah, approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the men of God. So this is coming from the Lord, not just from Moses, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions, which was faith. And we can do this. There'll be bread for us. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So now that Moses had swore to me, the land on which your feet has walked, will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because your reward, you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. That expression, it appears twice in this portion of scripture, but it appears about another four to five times in the word of God. If you want to know what summed up this man's life, he had wholeheartedly followed the Lord. That's what this looks like. When you marry courage and confidence together with persistence, the outcome will be you will wholeheartedly follow the Lord. May that be said of me. May that be said of you. May that be said of, of every single one of us this morning, that, that at the end of our life, they had wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 10, Now, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive these 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses while Israel moved around in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous or strong to go in and out to battle and now as I was then. This guy did not get older. This guy got better. 
This guy did not get weaker. This guy got stronger. You know, here's, here's the incredible difference. That while the 10 spies, I mean, God never factored into their thoughts. The way that we think about God causes everything that we view in life to be filtered through that understanding of who God is. In Caleb's eyes, God was mighty and God was able to fulfill what he had promised. Look at verse 12. He says, now give me this mountain that the Lord promised to me that day. I mean, he had to still fight for it. And there were giants in that, in that mountain. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there in their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me and I will drive them out just as he said. Some translation has, have, if the Lord be with me. And it wasn't a question of doubt or, no, no, no. He never crossed the line of presumption. That's where I think that a lot of people get themselves in trouble. There's a difference between presumption and faith. Believing what God said, not going above what God said, but believing what God said is what God is after in our lives. Here's the fruit of persistence being married together with courage and confidence that brought him the best of the land of Judah, the mountain of Hebron, and that became his inheritance. There was a missionary to a native people in uh, South America, and uh, he couldn't find, he was translating the Bible for them in their language, and he couldn't find the word that satisfied, apparently they had no word for believe or, or faith. And then one, one day he, he noticed one of the natives plopped into a chair, threw his feet up, and, and commented how great it was to rest all of his weight on that chair. And he said, that's it. That's the, that's the phrase that I need. He says, that's what believing is. It is for you and I to come to the place in our life where we rest our entire whole being upon God, where our needs are met, where, where our future is in God's hands, where, where, we, where we can rest and trust all of our life upon the one who cannot fail. Our takeaway this morning is this fact. Through Jesus, the power of persistence becomes a reality as we wholeheartedly follow the Lord. The power of persistence becomes a reality as we wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God that gives us an inheritance the word of God that builds us up and gives us strength. The word of God is not the words of men, but it is powerful. It is like a sharp two-edged sword. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I thank you this morning, Father, you've spoken to us once again and encouraged our hearts to, to, to be the men and women that will promote the kingdom of God, that will declare these are the things that God has in store to those that love him. And so, Father, we just thank you this morning and pray that you'd seal this word, this, this series, to a heart. And, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, as I said, what, what God, you did for Louis, you can do for them if they will put their trust and their faith in you. If they would just simply do what Louis did so many years ago, 
Make a confession of faith in Christ. So Father, I pray today that before we leave this place, that there will be men and women who will give their hearts and their lives to Christ. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.